Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study on the Gospel of John, and this program is the 17th program in this series. I'm presently in John chapter 4, and there's something that I would like you to notice with regards to the Gospel of John that does make it different from the other Gospels that were written by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll notice that there are different things recorded by John. John's Gospel was written much later, after the other ones were written, from what we understand. And what John records were a lot of things that the other writers did not include in their historical record. And so we have an advantage with the Gospel of John in that we have other things that were not recorded in the other Gospels that we can look at, and if John did not document these things, then we simply would not have them available. Now, in John chapter 4, at the end of John chapter 4, we have the description of a healing that took place. Now, from what we understand through the other Gospels, Jesus already performed several healings. He performed several miracles. He was already known as a person who could heal others, but those miracles that we have recorded in the other Gospels were miracles that Jesus did in order to assert his messianic claim. That was mainly what those miracles were for at the beginning of his ministry, and then other miracles that he performed afterwards were mainly done for the purpose of fulfilling personal needs, individual needs and not for the purpose of asserting his messianic claim. But here in John chapter 4, what we have is we have the description of a miracle that Jesus did early in his ministry that he did for the purpose of meeting the personal need of an individual. He did not do this miracle for the purpose of asserting his messianic claim, not like the other ones that he did. And so beginning in John chapter 4, verse 46, it says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, there's a lot that's going on here. The first thing to notice is that the nobleman does genuinely believe that Jesus can heal his son. I don't think that there's any doubt about that, considering that the man went to Jesus. He must have heard that Jesus had already performed several miracles to include healing people. And so out of his concern for his son, he went to Jesus and asked for Jesus to heal his son. This was a personal need. And you can consider the significance of something like this, because in general, a father does have 
a sincere interest in a son, in his son. He would want his son to grow up, to be a man, to become a productive member of society, to be able to live independently and even start his own family and continue on in his life in such a way that he would have children and be able to train and teach them how to be men and how to live independently in this world. And so for the father to have his son sick to the point of death would be a major concern for him. A significant part of his life was devoted to the training and the equipping of his son so that his son would continue to live beyond the father's lifetime. And so if his son was to die, then this would change the father's life quite a bit. This would be a significant event in the life of the father. First of all, because the focus of his life, the purpose of his life, will change. It will change in a big way. Right now, while his son is alive, a major part of his focus and his purpose in life is to train and equip his son. But if his son departs, then that part of his life will die with him, will die with his son. That part of the father will die. And when things like this happen, people's lives change. They change in a big way in terms of what their focus is going to be, what their purpose is. And when these things happen in people's lives, they can often be more open to the things of God. Because in most cases, people do not pursue the things of God because they are concerned about losing something. They will not believe in the Lord Jesus because they are concerned that it will result in loss. Now, we know, those of us who have surrendered to the new covenant, who have been in Christ for a period of time, who have been living with the inheritance that we have received, we have experienced a changed life. After we have experienced these things, after we have grown to know our God, we can't imagine life without him. We can imagine it, but only to the extent where we certainly would never want to go back. But when a person does not know the Lord and they do not know the value of him in their lives and they don't know and understand the value of the inheritance that we receive in Christ Jesus and how we can apply that in our daily lives, then it can be easy to be overwhelmed by the losses that we could potentially experience in this world. For example, at this time in history, if a person believed in Jesus, there would be major social consequences. The religious leaders made it very well known that if anybody wanted to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, then they would be removed from the synagogue. They would obviously have a difficult time finding work and being a part of the community. Their family members might very well reject them. There were a lot of consequences that people would have to endure, a lot of loss that they would have to experience if they were going to believe in the Lord Jesus. But when this man is about to lose his son, that is a loss that puts him in a situation where believing in Jesus is perfectly acceptable and a good thing and may prevent him from losing his son. So he goes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to come and heal his son. But Jesus 
responds in an aggressive way. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Well, the man does believe to an extent already. He's going to Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus is going to heal your son to go to him and ask him to do it. There has to be some measure of belief. It does not appear that the father went to Jesus with a sense of contempt or a sense of skepticism, that he was looking for Jesus to prove himself. There's no indication that the father felt that way. And so it's my opinion that Jesus was probably speaking to the people around him at large. And I believe this can be a legitimate interpretation because he says, unless you people see signs and wonders. That is in the plural. He's not referring to an individual person, but he's referring to people in general. And that this man, when he came, he came and he instigated or he provoked this response from Jesus, probably because there were a lot of people around. When the nobleman asked Jesus to heal his son, it's probable that there were a lot of people around and they were all curious. They were all wanting to see Jesus perform this miracle. So for Jesus to say this, what he is telling the people around him as a whole, not just the father, but he's telling people around him, is that he's really not interested in having a relationship with them on the basis of him performing miracles. In other words, is that really what he's about? Is that really why they would be willing to have him in their lives? Is that what he means to them? Is he just somebody who heals people when they're about to die? That's his role. That's his purpose. And so if you were to ask these people who Jesus was referring to, of what value is Jesus to you? They would say, oh, well, you know, if I ever need someone to uh, be healed, then I can ask him to do it. I can tell him that he ought to do it. That's his role in my life. That's going to be our relationship. Whenever I have a need for a godly kind of miracle, that's what he is for. So when Jesus responds in the way that he does, he does give the indication that this is not the kind of relationship that he's really interested in. Now, there's nothing wrong with him healing somebody, and he does heal the man's son. As we continue to read, we can see that he does that. But what he's really there for, the reason why he came, was so that we might have eternal life, not an extension of our temporary life. We are all going to die physically, unless the Lord Jesus returns before we physically die, of course. But in this circumstance, Everyone is going to die physically. If he heals the man's son, that son will die. He will still die. This is just a temporary fix for a period of time. This is not an eternal solution. Jesus is there in order to present an eternal solution. That's why he is there. That's what he wants the people to believe. He wants the people to believe that he is there to provide eternal life, not this temporary life. He wants them to believe in the eternal life. He wants them to believe in him as a person. He wants to have a relationship with them 
on the basis of them being a part of his life and being in his kingdom for eternity. And he wants to have a relationship with them such that they believe him and they trust him. Not because he provides proof and evidence. I mean, what kind of a relationship is that? If somebody went to you and they said, listen, I'd like to have a relationship with you. And you probably would feel the same way. And you would say, you know, that sounds great. I would like you to have a relationship with me also. But the only way that they're going to interact with you is if you prove something to them. Now, I think it's unlikely that you'll be able to perform these miracles that Jesus performed. But what about something simple, something like, are you a trustworthy person? And so this person will come to you as an example, and they could say, I want to have a relationship with you. But the first thing I want you to do is I want you to prove to me that you are a trustworthy person. I want you to do that first. I want you to do something for me. Show me something. Give me the signs. Give me the wonders. Give me something in order to demonstrate that you are a trustworthy person, someone who I can believe in, someone who I can believe. I want you to show me that that's really who you are. Now, that's quite a burden to put on someone. And when people relate to me in that way, I am easily tempted to just simply ignore them. And just decide, you know, it's a lot less work to just wait for another person who is willing to be a part of my life and who is willing to have a relationship with me before I prove to them that I meet their satisfaction or I meet their standards or their requirements. I mean, that can be quite a burden to place on somebody to say, you are obligated to do this first before You and I are going to work together before you and I are going to relate to one another, before you and I participate in each other's lives in any way whatsoever. I want to see some evidence. I want to see some proof. I want you to do some things for me. And I believe that this is what Jesus was responding to, that he wanted them to believe not because of the signs and wonders. He wanted them to believe because that was the truth because of who he really is. He's already done many things that would give the evidence for that. Why do these people need to see it for themselves? If that's the case, then he has to supply a miracle for anyone and everyone for his entire life, regardless of where he goes in the country or anywhere else in the world for that matter that he's going to be required to do something so that people can see it for themselves instead of just believing and trusting in the testimony that has already been given by so many others. Why could they not just believe who he is and relate to him on the basis of who he is and acknowledge all that he has done? And if a need such as this should show up, should arrive in a person's life, then I'm sure that they can relate to him differently. They can relate to him differently. Not for the purpose of, Jesus, I want you to prove yourself, but Jesus, I already know that you can do this. I am genuinely asking you to do this. And that is effectively what the Father says afterwards. In verse 49, the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. In other words, the nobleman doesn't respond 
to what Jesus says when he says, unless you people. He doesn't respond to that. He stands up as an individual, as an individual person. And he says, just come down before my son dies. My son is going to die. Come and heal him, please, is effectively what he said. With that, Jesus responds to the personal need of this man. And he does not do this for the purpose of asserting his messianic identity. The man came to him and made an appeal, would you please save the life of my son? And then Jesus saves the life of his son, and the man departs and continues to live his life. He has responsibilities. He has things that he has to do. He's got to continue to raise his son, for example. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. In verse 53, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household. So it could have been, based on verse 53, that the man did not believe as much as Jesus would have liked him to believe. Certainly the father believed enough to go ask Jesus for the healing, but it appears that he could still believe more, and he did. Now, this is important to acknowledge. It's very important to understand that you do not have to believe in Jesus to the magnitude that some people may expect you to. That even Jesus recognizes that a person's belief can increase. It can grow. It can become greater. The father had enough belief. He had enough trust to go to Jesus and ask for help. He had enough, but he could have more. He could have had more. And when the healing finally took place, he did have more. But even though he had more faith, even though he believed more, and now his whole household is going to believe more, what do they believe? What do they really believe? Do they really understand why Jesus was there? It's unlikely. It's unlikely that they really understood the magnitude of what Jesus was really there doing, what he was really going to accomplish. One of the reasons why I can suggest that is because we don't ever hear from these people again. Why don't we hear from them? Why don't we see them enthusiastically, heavily involved in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, they may have been involved, and we just don't have that recorded. But I would venture to say, I'm venturing to say, that if these people 
were serious believers in the Lord Jesus and what he did, and they experienced this miracle, wouldn't they have found some additional ways to live their lives with great devotion and be serious evangelists for the Lord Jesus and tell many people about the gospel to the extent that in some way they might be remembered, mentioned again, somewhere, somehow? Now, I'm not saying that they have to be. I'm just presenting that to help you understand that if they believe in Jesus, we also have to ask the question, what do they believe? What are their real convictions? They can certainly believe that Jesus is a man who will heal somebody. They can believe that. But how much do they really believe? Do they believe that he is the king of Israel? We don't have that recorded. They might have believed that, but maybe they didn't believe that. Did they believe that Jesus was going to restore the Holy Spirit to humanity, that he was going to die for their sins, and he was going to resurrect from the dead and send the Holy Spirit back to them if they would only receive the spirit of life, they would be born again, made into a child of God, be resurrected from the dead spiritually. And as Jesus told the woman at the well, they would have a life spring, a living water that would spring up from within them that will fulfill all the needs that they have. And they would live their lives in accordance with what they have in Christ Jesus because of what he did for them. Would they believe that? We don't know. We don't know to what extent they would believe in Jesus, how far, how long, and what specifically would they believe? These are really important questions to ask. I myself have encountered a lot of people who have experienced miracles from God that, in my opinion, are undeniable. But their lives were not so much a reflection of that belief and that conviction not to the extent that I personally would have expected, not even close. I mean, they certainly had a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of excitement when the things of God, the topic of God would come up. But you know, with a lot of people who I have met in my life, I have found that many of them take the position that, well, God performed a miracle on me, so I am clearly right with God. I am okay with God. There is no need for me to be concerned with growing to know him anymore. Why should I bother putting out the effort or putting out the attention or taking a part of my life to pursue an increase in knowing my God? Why should I bother doing that? He did a miracle on me. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm a child of God. Everything's fine. Now I can just go ahead and live my life for the indulgence of the flesh or for whatever reason. Because there's nothing for me to worry about anymore. God performed a miracle on me. He has given me his stamp of approval. And so when I see him, regardless of what happened in my life afterwards, I will be able to go to him and say, remember me? I'm the person you healed. Obviously, I am of great importance to you. But if they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they do not know him, and they do not have a relationship with him, then it can be very easy for him to respond with, I don't know who you are. I mean, I kind of know in the sense that I remember healing you, but that was in your flesh. I don't know your heart. I don't know your spirit. 
we don't have the kind of relationship that I healed you for so that you could live the remainder of your life and a part of it would be devoted to me in the sense that we would know each other and participate in each other's lives. This is important. This is something that people don't usually think about, that they don't pay attention to. And I want you to understand that catastrophes in life, crisis in life, when a person experiences great loss, this can be a wonderful opportunity for them to be willing to hear about the things of God. And we should definitely take advantage of those opportunities and speak to people in the midst of their life crises. Because in many cases, people did not turn to God before the crisis because they were afraid of what they might lose with relationships or with their pride. But when they lose a lot and they are in the process of rebuilding their lives, they can be more willing to allow God to be a part of their life because in restructuring their life, they may have already lost most of those things that they were concerned about. But after a person embraces the gospel and embraces the Lord Jesus, they must continue to live their lives without fear of what they may lose because they believe. And I will continue with chapter 5 in the next program. Thank you for listening. This program is the 17th program in the verse-by-verse study on the book of John. In this program, I spoke about the healing of the nobleman's son who was about to die. Jesus healed the man's son out of his personal need. It wasn't something that Jesus did in order to assert his messianic claim. And I spoke about this healing in the context of a person experiencing loss in their lives. And because of such losses, a person might feel a little bit more free to include Jesus in their lives. I also spoke about what Jesus really has an interest in, which is the spiritual healing of a person. That is of greater importance to the Lord Jesus. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,